Hi, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. This is Cameron Earhart. I'm here with Joey Brannon, and today we're meeting with Drew Allen. We're going to be talking about the life cycle of small business owner financial planning. Super excited to have you, Drew, uh, here, Drew. I've known you for a few years now, um, and have just over the years gotten to know you, and just have really kind of appreciate you as a friend, um, and have just enjoyed the time we spent together. So. For our audience, can you go ahead and tell us more about yourself, what you do, who you are, who is Drew Allen, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Uh, well, uh, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. And a uh, little bit about me, I've uh, been in Florida since 98, uh, not originally from here. Most people aren't, but uh, <laughs> my wife is. But uh, married, two kids, uh, been in Tampa almost 20 years, well, actually 20 years now. So run a financial planning practice up in Tampa and working with uh, clients really around the country uh, and uh, just excited to be here and talk through uh, life, life cycle of small business. Awesome. Yeah, no, and, and uh, I know over the years, you know, we, we've been able to spend a lot of time just meeting with clients, meeting with uh, other referral partners and just really, you know, getting to know each other well. And, and when I first met you, you weren't with instrumental wealth that wasn't who drew allen was so yeah. tell us you know how you got your start your start in the industry and then where you are now yeah so i was in uh I have an international finance degree from usf uh in tampa there and i got out of uh college and went into the mortgage business i think uh, most people in 2004 that uh were young and wanted to try to make a lot of money probably went into the mortgage business right that's what <laughs> everything was going in the mortgage business so uh, I did that, and while I was there, uh, I just saw some things happening. I was probably too young to understand what was really going on with you know, real estate and mortgages. Uh, but I started to realize this probably isn't going to last forever. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I had a buddy that worked at a bank in Atlanta called Wachovia Bank. And he said, man, you, you really probably do well at Wachovia. It's just the way you work with clients. And, and so I went into banking. Uh, I was still doing mortgages uh, and started my investment world as well. So I got licensed to do insurance and investments there. What, at the bank. what year was that? That was 05. Okay. So before the, the big hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny enough, I, when they interviewed me, they asked, you're doing well as a mortgage. Why are you getting out now? And I said, well, something's going to happen, and all kinds of people like me are going to be coming to the bank looking for jobs. So <laughs> I, so you saw the writing on the wall. I did. I wish I would have taken more action on <laughs> taking advantage of that, but I, I didn't. So um, it just made sense. It was a natural progression there. I got into banking uh, with Wachovia and got into f dual employed with the bank. So you did banking as well as investment and financial planning, and I really enjoyed the financial planning aspect of it. But stayed in banking and, and moved into the commercial bank um, and worked with a lot of businesses, uh, acquisition banker, bringing businesses. At that time, it was then Wells Fargo uh, and really just wasn't fulfilled in that. Mm. Did very well, uh, helped a lot of folks, met a lot of great people, but just didn't feel real fulfilled doing that. And um, I'd always told my wife I wanted to own my own business. And she said, well, we're we're probably not rich enough to own a bank. So you might want to, <laughs> you might want to go work for somebody, figure out what you want to do and then start your own. And, and so, uh, because of my background being licensed and having done that, I went out and started a, a planning practice, uh, with an insurance group and then spent, uh, eight years doing that and then joined instrumental wealth when we, we transitioned. Yeah. And I, I love that your wife 
believed in you, right? She said, yeah. if you want to be a business owner, like go do it, get out there yeah. and start learning. That's and a pretty it, common theme. Yeah. Uh, I was listening <laughs> as luck would have it to Mike Thackeray's podcast, re-listening to it on the mm-hmm. way to work this morning. And Mike talks about his very first sale was convincing his wife to take the three thousand last $3,000 they had in their bank account and go buy some used lawn mowing equipment and a beat up trailer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for somebody who's as financially conservative and risk averse as his wife is like, that was a big vote of confidence. And I remember my own story, the same thing. I was working for a, a big CPA firm, and uh, I was telling my wife, I don't think that this is the place for me. And she's like, we both know you're going to start your own business one day. Just go do it. you know. Yeah. And it's like, I think we're, it plays into a lot of the stuff that we do with businesses today, and I'm sure you have. Like, if the husband and wife aren't on the same page, uh-huh. man, is, do, is that really a mess that we want to jump into? <laughs> do we want to – and it's so it's just so powerful when you see – that that um, kind of joint on the same page, at peace with the, with one another, with the decision not not going to be eaten. My life has lived to regret that <laughs> <laughs> permission probably several several times, but um, it's cool. That's part of your story too. Well, and I would add to that. Um, I don't know. She kind of made that comment. I think if you asked her, it was kind of an off the cuff <laughs> comment. <laughs> Uh, her father had done that, and uh, he had worked for Verizon and then started his own thing in, in the telecom world. And, and I happened to call. I got a referral from somebody at the in, that insurance company that I was at uh, after I left the bank. It, I had gotten a referral, and I thought, who else works at that firm? I could probably get more referrals, right? I was a banker. They work with business owners. And, and I happened to notice somebody I knew from college that worked there. So I called on them. They probably thought they were going to make a new client when I called them. <laughs> um, and I showed up, and they thought, well, you're already a client of the firm already. You know, what have you been doing? So we went through that, and I was fully licensed. And they said, what? You should come work here and build a business. And I thought at the time I had – my wife was a stay-at-home mom with two little kids. I'm thinking – my wife's never going to go for that. <laughs> and I went home that night, and she said, anything interesting happened to your day to day? And I said, well, actually, I met you know, someone at you know, this firm, and she said, you should go talk to them. And at that moment, I kind of was kind of like you, was what happened to my wife? Where's my wife, right? <laughs> so, it, it, you know, but I would say that she has been, uh, she at moments probably regretted encouraging me to do that, but I wouldn't be where I'm at without her support and just her encouragement to keep keep pushing right um it's not easy starting a business running a business maintaining that business uh where you're giving a deliverable to somebody that there's value add in their life and and i think that having her in my corner just as an encouragement uh has meant the world to me and um you know i'm glad that she glad that she actually encouraged that i'd probably still be in banking had she not really kind of pushed me out of the nest i guess yeah yeah and i think especially from the um just the perspective that your wife was a stay-at-home mom you had two children and you've told me how much money you're making like you were making good money and that is like that's a bold move to say Hey, leave that job and go to a job, which I, I think you went to is like pretty close to 100% commission. Oh, it, it was. Okay. So like yeah. <laughs> that's that's huge. Not many, you know, stay-at-home moms of two children say, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that uh, looking back, uh, I 
put a ton of due diligence into my thought process there because if I had, I might not have done it. <laughs> um, but it does come back to the difference in fulfillment, hmm. right? And and what are you doing day in and day out that is actually you're passionate about? It fulfills you. You know, you can get a paycheck anywhere, right? It's not about a paycheck. It's about making an impact feeling fulfilled, coming home to your family, seeing your clients, knowing you're making a difference. Um, that was important to me. And I just, you know, given big government contractors $10 million lines of credit so they could fulfill an army contract was, okay, it paid me. Right. I saw no fruit of that, though. I didn't, I wasn't sitting at their dinner table because they got that contract and they yeah. were, you know, it was very different. In, in the banking world, as you guys work with bankers with your clients, you're kind of a number. A lot of banks just, how good your balance sheet? Uh, what's your credit score? I mean, there's really this box that they live in, uh, but business owners don't, that's, they don't operate in a box. Right. That's why they're a business owner, right? I mean, they, they broke out of a mold and, and they need guidance. Hmm. They, they need somebody that's going to partner with them to really guide them through growth, implementation, maintaining, and maturity, and succession, and so on. It's interesting you talk about fulfillment. I want to sit on the topic for a second. And we're in, uh, you know, broadly what's categorized as like knowledge work or whatever. And, and then there's, um, there, there are craftsmen, there are um, people who build tangible things, right? And so my brother-in-law is an architect and he can point to a building that he designed that and then brought to fruition and say, I... That's my stamp on the world. Like the world is physically different because of something that I put my heart, mind, and soul into. And um, and I think it's easy to get. Uh, it's easy for it was easy for me to get locked into. Well, I'm not building anything tangible. You know, like what is my impact? And there was a moment. There was a, a Friday night. Our kids were maybe. They're, the boys are two years apart, so maybe six and four, or seven and five, or something like that. We're all going to dinner. And we pull up to a red light, and there's a, a van, a service van of one of our clients. And they're like, oh, Daddy, that's your client, right? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Long story short, on the 15-minute trip to the restaurant, there are three other client like vehicles. That's, you know, we have a lot of clients that have like fleet vehicles, so it's you know, you see them out and about. And it was as we're walking in the restaurant, I'll never forget the feeling of like holding the door open as my family walked in and looking back at the parking lot at one of those vans that was in the restaurant parking lot where we were at and be like, we helped that company grow and maybe we put that, maybe we helped them put that van on the street, you know, and, and increase their impact and, and help them make a bigger tangible difference. So for you and the space that you're in, what does fulfillment look like, feel like, like where do, where do you get that? that dopamine hit or that endorphin hit of yeah. like, Hey, I'm making a difference. What does it look like? Yeah. It's interesting. My, my daughter's 13, my oldest daughter, and we were just having this conversation cause she's starting to think about what do I want to do? Right. Um, and, and we believe that what you should be doing is what are you passionate about and what are your God given talents? Right. And where do those cross and, and to focus in that area, because if you do that, I, I, I hate to say it this way, but sometimes we as kids, and no fault to parents, no fault to anybody generationally, but we're, we're somewhat told some lies growing up that at some point you hope people realize, um, you know, the, the lie that, oh, you can be anything you want to be, <laughs> or, you know, I, I'm a financial guy, right? So, you know, the lie that, you know, money can't buy you happiness. Well, 
it, we've talked about this camera. It, it can, it will never fulfill you though. Right. Right. And so, um, and, and again, as kids, we're told that, that money can't buy happiness. So, you know, for me, when I was going through that exercise with my daughter, she looked at me and said, dad, that's why you're a financial planner. Well, Michaela, why, why do you say that? She said, well, you're super passionate about helping people and being around people. Um, but your talent, your God-given talent is is really math and all the things that it takes to to do what you do. So now it makes sense to me why you chose huh. to do that. And That's it was cool. cool for her to have that correlation. For me, uh, just walking somebody through articulation of what they want to achieve, what their purpose is, what they're trying to grow, what their vision is, and then kind of reporting back as a CFO to them on how we can help make that happen. Because a lot of people, a lot of business owners specifically, they they start out with just this idea that, hey, I, I have this great idea. I don't know what it's going to take to do it, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not until they sit down and they either start that business or trying to get capital, they're trying to grow it, they're trying to hire or attract new people, retain good people, um, and really showing them how they can do that. And, and to the similar effect, I, there's a lot of businesses that I see that, uh, I help them expand, right, mm-hmm. through whether it be introducing them to staffing folks because they were struggling to get staff. Uh, but they're they're doing all the normal channels that they think, but they don't realize that there's there's people that do that. Mm-hmm. Like, let's hire them. You keep doing what you're good at. Right. Let's let's get their assistance. Um, or bringing in a company like Axiom, right, right, to say, I don't do some of these things, but you really need them. Right. Um, and... I can walk home and go home every day, look my family in the face and know that the people that I interacted with today, I left them better than I found them. Hmm. Um, And that's a driving force for me every day. I I do believe that we, uh, our time, our talent and our treasure is, is what everything's based on and how do we utilize those things that we've been given to, to really impact the world. And I I mentioned my oldest daughter, Michaela, what, you know, when you mentioned Joey, what you were just talking about, when she was a, when she was about to be born, she's my first. I know you're about to have your first. Yeah. I went to a daddy boot camp, and that daddy boot camp taught you everything. Uh, w- women weren't allowed to be at it because men want to ask questions that if there's a lady in the room, they may not ask. Right? <laughs> sure. And I can imagine some yeah. of those questions. <laughs> yeah. And and what? So you go through this whole boot camp for like six hours, and it was super helpful, but they ask you to bring your child. If anybody would volunteer to bring their child back, so I mean you're changing a diaper on a baby. I know we're a little, there is a point to that. It, they gave me a shirt and on the back of that shirt, it, it had a quote and I'll never forget the quote because it, it had a profound impact on me. And it said, children are the fingerprints on a world we'll never see. <laughs> and so when you talk about value and what we add to somebody that isn't tangible, a building, some manufacturing type widget that they're building and then they see it on a shelf, I believe the impact that a service or knowledge-based business gives is that we're we're impacting generations of families and generations of people in a world we'll never see. We don't know where that wisdom that, you know, we have information, we turn that to knowledge, that knowledge is applied, becomes wisdom through time, and we impart wisdom on folks, and we get wisdom from other folks. We just will never see the, the, maybe the value add it was um, because we won't be there to see it. Um, and, and so 
I, I think about that often when I'm working with clients because I, I wonder where's this information going and what are they going to do with it and how they're going to apply it uh, to make sure it's pertinent, relevant, and valuable. Man, that's good. You uh, So you talk about business owners. I know those aren't the only type of clientele that sure. you serve, but you know it does seem like you've kind of found a niche mm-hmm. you know, helping business owners. So how did that come about? Obviously, you're passionate about owning a business, you know, how did it come about being passionate about helping business owners and, you know, what, what goes into that? Yeah, great question. I, you know, for me, it made a lot of sense to go into that niche just because of the fact that with my banking background, I mean, Joe, you've been doing this a long time, it, it, you know, helping clients understand to lighten the load of using lines of credit, how do you use them properly? How do we, you know, speed up our accounts receivable, slow down our accounts payable so we're not using that line? These are all things that bankers should be teaching. Um, That's fee revenue for a business owner to use that line so they don't always Mm -hmm. spend a ton of time there. But what I noticed in banking is, is that a lot of these folks had were really good at what they did. But it's this niche of the folks that I was calling on a lot were in revenues of probably seven to 15 million because I just found in that space, they're big enough that they really do need to hire a CFO. They need to hire somebody that their focus is that, but they're also in that space of, well, I built it to this point. Why do I need to hire that person, Mm. right? So there's this unique area. And so when I went out into the financial planning world, those were naturally a lot of the folks I called because- I knew they needed help. They didn't have a CFO. They didn't. They weren't willing to invest before the growth curve, mm-hmm. and and that's such a huge thing for a business when you get past the point of okay, I I think we're going to make it right to how do we get to the next level? Um, a lot of them are scared to kind of invest before that growth curve because they've just got out of a point where they were cash tight and they don't want to go back to that, right? And so. Um, for me, helping them, I speak their language, balance sheets, financial statements. Uh, in transparency, maybe that was just a comfort level for me, so I just stayed in that niche mm-hmm. uh, versus having to learn the, you know, physician lingo or you know another niche lingo. Uh, but I also enjoy business owners; they're they're natural risk takers, yep. um, and I like being there for folks that that are willing to believe in themselves because that's really what it is. You have if you don't believe in yourself, you can't start a business. Mm-hmm. You will crash and burn fast, right? You have to believe, and you have to have people behind you believing in you. Again, a spouse, mm-hmm. uh, a, a someone who's close to you, maybe a business mentor, or um, and that's that's a big component, just like what you all do with Axiom. I mean, it's I, I just really that mentorship of hey, this isn't. For lack of a better term, our first rodeo, right? We've seen this. We've seen this movie before. We can walk you through it, and yeah. I think it's critical. It's fun. One of the things that I really, um, it's fun to talk to other people who who make their their day job is working with business owners because people who, uh, if they've worked for the man the whole their whole life, and you know some of those experiences probably haven't been great, or. Um, they just don't have a lot of experience, you know, 
being able to see what happens at the dinner table of a business owner, what happens uh, in the in the business owner's office that they never hear about, right? Because what the what the media has caricatured business, and when they caricature business, they caricature big business, and small business gets lumped into that, and they caricature them as the kind of the Gordon Gecko, greedy Scrooge mm-hmm. type um, that you know just all about them, and we're just using these other people. But anybody who spent any amount of time around a small business owner particularly knows that they're some of the most generous people you'll ever meet. And they give like not, and sometimes it drives us crazy, but like second and third and 15th and 50th chances to people. Right. And, um, and it, it does, it, it makes a ton of sense if you just stop to think about it, because if you look at a small business owner and they're thinking only about themselves and everything they do is out of vested self-interest, uh, it's going to be really hard to to serve customers well. It's going to be really hard to grow that business past just you and convince an employee to come alongside you. The truth is, the most successful business owners we have are the ones who are really good at crawling inside somebody else's head or walking in their shoes and saying, "What is it that this? How does this person want to be treated? What is it that they need from me? How am I going to convince this employee that?" Uh, coming to work here is the best thing that they can do for the next 15 or 20 years of their life. And sometimes it drives me crazy when you see those caricatures um, because the reality is so much different. And it just, it really is. I mean, I love to see more, more vans on the road and more trucks with ladders up against houses, but the coolest part is just getting to spend time around these small business owner, these people called small business owners who really make their living addressing somebody else's needs. And that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, it's unique when you can meet a business owner who has a, a team, but everybody on that team has a vision, right? Whether it's spoken or unspoken, everybody has a vision. And as the leader of that company, if your vision isn't big enough for their vision to fit inside your vision, they won't stay, mm-hmm. right? They're, they, if, if they want to outgrow where they think you can go, they're already looking for the exit to go somewhere else. Because a lot of people... I don't want to say they don't have what it takes to be a business owner. I think a lot of people do have an entrepreneurial spirit, but if they've never seen it done, if they don't have somebody encouraging them, if they don't have somebody to kind of, like my wife, push me out of the nest in in essence, they'll probably just stay working for somebody, but they won't be fulfilled. They'll come to work begrudgingly. That all goes down to the way their clients are treated, et cetera. And so it is... um, it's always interesting to me when I ask a business owner, you know, who are the key people that work for you? And the wide array of answers you get there, um, it's it's usually not the people that they probably should be keying in on, usually. <laughs> um, and sometimes it is. Um, you know, it's unique with multi-generational businesses. We have G2 going to G3 or G1 to G2. That presents a lot of challenges on how do you do it efficiently, but also are those the right people for the right seats? And and do the people in the next generation even want the seat or are they being kind of forced into it because maybe at five years old, this company started and now the natural progression is why well, I went and got my degree in X and dad or mom is expecting me to, to do this, but I really have a passion somewhere else. Yeah. And so that creates more issues. And, and so, uh, but to your point, I mean, the vision and just really understanding 
what you're driving towards is 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 really big. I want to hear your take on uh, how many businesses, business owners you talk to, um, kind of have a really clear vision versus how many that vision got lost in the weeds somewhere and you kind of have to reconnect that, like walk them back and like, Hey, why did you start doing this in the first place? Where would you put them on the spectrum of like, man, they, this percentage really knows what they want, what they want. And they're, they've articulated it and people on their team know what they want versus those who maybe kind of lost their way and, and they're looking for somebody to pull them out of the weeds. I would say a high percentage have lost sight of what the original vision was mm. And and that's actually not always a bad thing uh, from from our perspective because sometimes that vision they painted in their mind when they started was way too small, hmm. right? And so so sometimes it's good they lost that vision. The, the the ones that are kind of epiphany to it are the ones that when they start articulating their vision and you look at them and say, you completed that five years ago. <laughs> and they look at you with that blank stare they hadn't even considered that, hmm. you know, because it might have been, I'm going to have this many employees and I'm, you know, I'm going to do this much in sales and I'm going to be able to take two vacations a year. And, you know, I mean, all these things. And then come to find out they're, they're so far beyond that that it, it does wake them up to start realizing that, wow, I, I really do need to revisit this. And I need to understand, depending on the stage I'm in in the business, who else needs to be part of that vision? Because when they had the idea, it was just maybe them, maybe right. a spouse, maybe a business partner, if they still had that partner or not, you know, depending on if they made it together. Right. Um, and so I would say it's a very low percentage actually can articulate what their original vision was, uh, or if they have a current vision, what is even that vision? That's, I mean, this is, I'm learning a lot uh, because it makes me think of, I'd never thought about the fact that some of the clients that we talk to that are struggling with vision, the reason they're struggling is because they already accomplished the original one. And when you're starting out, they tend to think in very pragmatic terms. I know when I started, my vision was to be able to make enough money to keep the house over my head <laughs> and diapers on the five-month-old baby that we had, right? And so... Um, it's, it's eminently tangible and somebody who would have come alongside me, like my, my first receptionist or the first accountant I hired. Um, and they say like, what's your vision for the business? And back then I would have said, okay, well, last year we did 120,000 in revenue this next year. I want to do 250 and then 500. And, mm -hmm. and they would have been like, that helps because like what you were saying, well, I know I can see what things look like at 150 now. Mm -hmm. He's saying he wants to double that and then double that again. This is a place where I'm going to have some opportunity, at least for the next several years. What I have in, head, in my head for my vision fits really well here. I'm on board. Let's go. Mm -hmm. But when it's like what so when we start talking to a business there's going to be you know anywhere from 2 million 5 million 10 million you know whatever right so they've checked all those bought the roof you know like the roof's not going anywhere they're going to have the roof over their head for a while the kids are out of diapers in college that's probably paid off for um so they stop they stop talking in less concrete um terms about what they really want and now there, there's kind of this whole landscape that has as much to do with influence and impact as it does to hitting some kind of tangible number. Mm -hmm. And it takes some work. Uh, it, takes, it takes some work on their part. It takes some work on somebody else's part, you know, somebody like us to come alongside them and for Drew to say, but what do you really want? Like, that's, all those boxes are checked. Like, let's talk about the next 10 years. you got some really bright people here. 
and you're on the verge of losing them if you can't convince them that the next 10 to 15 years hold some promise. So mm-hmm. I'm taking the handcuffs off. Like you tell me what you want this business to do. How hard is it for business owners to, to do that with you? How, how, uh, I'm hoping you're like really, really good at it. And we can be like, Hey, you need to go talk to Drew. <laughs> we're, we're running up against a brick wall here, but what is that like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I think it's tough in the, right, with a business owner, it's, it's twofold because it's their business and then it's their personal finances. They love talking about their business. Most business owners do. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they shy away from the personal side because in their mind, and this makes sense to even what you were thinking when you started, the, the, the health of their personal finances doesn't even matter unless the health of their business is healthy, right? So that's why they're naturally going to spend their time there. So I think it's it's getting – you mentioned something, it, you know, what do you want? So one of the questions I ask all clients, especially business owners, you know, Joey, what do you really want? Cameron, what do you really want? And I'll take studious notes, right, and copious notes, that first one. Whatever you say, I'm not done there. What do you really want? Just like asking the five whys, you know, like why, 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 why until yeah. you kind of get to the root of yeah. whatever the motivation is. Or like, so what do you, what is it that yeah. we're really trying to shoot for here? Yeah. And it, you know, it's interesting not to plug his book, but you know, Simon Sinek became big with start with the why. Right. But I think, um, hopefully Simon Sinek's not listening to this, but maybe hopefully he is for you guys. Well, we right? plug his book all yeah, the time. Okay. So you're good. So, but I think, you know, going a little bit even deeper than that, because I think people can know their why, but if they don't, if they don't actually go a little bit deeper, it's good to know a why, but sometimes those are superficial whys. Um, I, if, if you started your business concerned about putting food on the table at a very tumultuous time in your life, a very potentially fear-driven time in your life, and I'm not saying you, Joey, but oh, just no, business owners in general, yeah. <laughs> um, that now is, is burned into your brain. So no matter how big you get or how successful monetarily you become, what I have found with a lot of these business owners, they still tend to air back on the side of, well, I may not be able to pay for my kid to go to college, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is when they're making plenty of money to pay for their kid to go to college, but, but they burn that into their brain so out of, whether it was out of fear, excitement, euphoria, irrational exuberance, whatever it was at the time, it just, they had to get themselves through it but that's burned into their limbic brain, right? The, the limbic lines in their brain. And so uh, it's, it's very interesting, the word vow, right? Why, why do they call marriage vows? Uh, there's actually a lot of brain studies that have been done that you have to be careful when you say, I vow to never do this. I vow not to do that, or I vow to do... Because the word vow actually does something. Our brains actually, it does something to our brains. And so you have a lot of these business owners that work for a company... They go out and start their own, and they say, well, I vow I'll never do that at my company. What's well, like a parent saying, I'm never, I vow I'm never going to do what my dad did, or, you know, the kind of thing. And then you realize you, you definitely are going to do what your dad did. Um, and I think that's, that's where my fulfillment, back to what you were asking about. I have a one business client up in Tampa that was struggling with his team. Just culture, and he, he was frustrated. 
And I just kept getting the sense that his team, he was, he was making some bad decisions, right? He was driving the high-end cars. He was living the high life while his team is just, they're just cranking as hard as they can. And their, their, their ideas, he was just getting all the benefit from it. And I talked, I knew one of his people on his team, and that, that was there, but it was also, they thought that he really didn't do a whole lot. So the next time I came to meet him, uh, I th- he admitted this later, he thought it was kind of crazy, but I, I printed out, I just went online, and it's the iceberg syndrome, right? It's, it's, and I just literally found an image off Google of the iceberg, where it's like the waterline, little, and then the huge bur- iceberg below it. I printed like 10 of those, and I brought them into his office. I said, just tape these up around in, in here. And he's like, why? Like, because your team thinks that all you do is this top part. They don't see the underlying surface. They don't see the nights where you're having to make hard decisions, hiring more people, firing people. They don't see the stress that goes into that. They don't see. And so it's just going to open up some dialogue because you're in a position right now where you need that dialogue. You need people to come to the surface and tell you what they're really thinking. And, And it was almost me acting almost in something like you would do with your clients. Um, and certainly I'm not trained to really necessarily do that, but it did open his eyes and it did start the conversations. Um, and they were able to have like a, a good meeting around. Yeah. I mean, we just feel however they felt. Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting, the perception that that people can have. Well, it's, it's interesting to me, um, you know, from an outside perspective, when I think of, you know, financial planner, like, their primary concern is your finances, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. hey, what do you want for the future? Let's yeah. help you accomplish that. But from conversations we've had and just what you've been talking about today, you show an extreme care for the individual and investing in them. And I mean, you, you've shared stories with me where you've sat at the table with G1 and G2 and you've helped them hash out like some really wild arguments, you know, and been a mediator. Like you've stepped into situations that from the outside, you're like, that, that doesn't seem like a situation a, a, the financial planner would be in. So why is that so important to you to be more than just the, you know, the CFP to them? Like you're, you're really a trusted advisor they go to for a lot of things outside of finances. Some of that's, I hate to use this word, but selfishly motivated, really. Uh, you know, I just care about people. Um, I'm a people pleaser t- personality type, which is a tough personality type to have, actually. Uh, but I recognize that. So I just care about people. I, I care what's going on with people. But the selfish side of that, you know, that's probably more my faith side, right? And caring and, and really just wanting to know that they're okay, right? No matter what happens with this business, it's like, your father doesn't hate you. You don't hate your dad, you know, type or, you know, mother, daughters as well. But, um, but on the, the selfish side on the businesses is that if they can't work through this, I don't have a client. <laughs> right? Self-preservation. Yeah. I don't have a client. Uh, they're going to, you know, G one's going to fight with G twos, maybe sell it to somebody else. Now I'm not part of the business, you know, helping them. So some of it's selfishly motivated. Sure. Like, well, guys, we got to get through this because if not, I'll get fired because I won't have a client, you know? So, Love it. uh, so it's kind of twofold there. No, but that's, that's awesome. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you, you've shared just some really incredible stories with me. We're like, like, man, you're, you're doing a lot of what we do. And like, and, yeah. you know, that's, that's really cool. 
Hi, this is Joy Brannon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. So um, you also mentioned earlier how you love business owners because they're risk takers. So typically they're risk takers in themselves. They're willing to bet on themselves. And so with the business, with, with the money they make, they just want to invest it all back into the business. Like that is their, that is their investment. So the, you know, I'm sure for a lot of them, the thought of financial planning outside of reinvesting in the business is just a foreign concept. They don't even want to think about. So when you sit down with a business owner and you're having that conversation, how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question, Cameron. I, they all think that, number one, <laughs> um, every one of them. And, you know, one of the things I usually say to business owners when I first meet with them is, I, I know what you're thinking. And they usually say, no, you don't. <laughs> but what you're thinking is, is that I'm, I'm going to take money out of your pocket to do something with it that doesn't necessarily generate more revenue in your business. And then they usually look at me and go, you do know what I'm thinking. Um, and it depends on that life cycle of the business. If you're a startup, and you're, you know, maybe a few years into business, a lot of my conversation with those clients is you have to plan for what can go wrong before you get the luxury of planning for what can go right. Mm -hmm. So let's make sure that if something happens to you, you have a family that is going to be covered, you know, if the business, what happens, you have a buy-sell agreement, these types of basic risk management stuff. But then it's the conversation around best use of a dollar, right? And that's so important that I think a lot of financial planners – that I have seen are just, they're looking for money on a balance sheet that they can roll over. They're asset gatherers. They're not really financial planners. They would mm. claim to be financial planners, but they're asset gatherers. What, how much money do you have that I can roll over? I can charge you a fee on, and that's how I make my living. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand that that's what you're hiring. But the best use of a dollar, if I, if I take someone's dollar and I can get, you know, we've had double-digit returns in the S&P 500 for the last multiple years in a row, which is create a whole nother animal with, with people thinking what expectations of return should be. But um, if they can go out and buy another truck, put another team in a truck that can generate, they can, they can tangibly see the ROI on that mm -hmm. versus giving it to quote unquote wall street. And what does that really even mean? You know, I'm, I'm a business. Why wouldn't I just buy another truck or hire more people? And so in that beginning stage, I think a lot of them are actually shocked when I'm saying none of that cash you have, Let's let's go buy some more. Let's let's potentially even leverage it. Let's get with your CPA. Let's talk about depreciation expense, right? Because mm. a lot of them, believe it or not, don't know. They just don't know. They knew how to start a business, but they actually got wrong people at the table, yeah. right? It's uh, I can tell you, in I mean, in thirty years, I've never heard a financial planner say those words. I mean, honestly, and, and when I started, um, you know, I moved to this area 20 years ago, similar to you. Um, and, 
you know, trying to establish yourself and network. And I mean, you know what it's like, like you have, if you're in a spot that you or I are in, there's no shortage of free lunches waiting for you. Like the bankers were like my, my favorites because they had expense cards and they just needed to use them. So I could always, you know, I was always had these, these lunch appointments, financial planners, financial advisors. Um, and, I would tell them, I'm like, I am never going to be able to send you any business. I'm the worst referral source you could ever have. You realize I work exclusively with small business owners. Do you understand what these people are like? I'm going to, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to convince them (laughs) to give you $20,000 when they can go buy a new truck because that truck is going to earn them $150,000 in revenue Mm -hmm. that year. Mm -hmm. They're not going to give it to you. Um, And I, I started looking for people who were, patient enough to to kind of sit on the sidelines from a at least from a revenue perspective uh, for 15 20 25 30 depending on you know when I was young I had a lot of young business clients because they were looking for somebody who was young now I'm a lot older and that window has gotten a lot shorter you know now they might only have to wait 10 years <laughs> but, but the same thing holds where uh, I, I, I think it's incredibly uncommon because what you're what you're saying what you're saying is that you've taken the I mean there's there's definitely professional fee service mm-hmm. financial planning right and and that could be part of your business model but what you said is very transparent and that your industry typically gets paid increasingly so to on a, on a fee basis mm-hmm. where it's all about the amount of assets that you have mm-hmm. um, so like. I'm curious to hear, like, uh, uh, you've given me this answer because I remember the first time I met you, mm-hmm. I, I said pretty much the same thing I just said. And I was like, how the hell did you do that? Because the, because I know those those young guys that I was meeting with 20 years ago, they had families to feed too. It wasn't it – wasn't, I was asking them to do something that they couldn't make a business out of. They might be able to have onesies and twosies, mm-hmm. but they needed a stable of retirees that would pay the mortgage payment. Uh, so like, how did, how did you come into being able to structure your business that way where you could say what you just said and live it out? It, you know, it's it's interesting. I think it's perception. It's perception. It's uh, perspective. You know, if you you meet with a business owner who started a business, and it's all those questions we asked before. Hey, who who encouraged you to do that? Who's who's really giving you that affirmation? Well, you know, my grandfather. Well, guess what? I want to go talk to your grandfather, right? And so it's doing a good job of unpacking the people that they're closest to. And and so not only are you helping them, but you're then going into the, the world of, hey, who's in their life that you could also impact? Who's probably a generation ahead of them? Smart. Yeah. And then you're getting into those groups of folks. And then they actually are calling back to the person, their son, their daughter, their grandson, and saying, hey, you need to work with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to work with this guy. Uh, he dings, brings a different perspective to in it. In essence, I'm paying for you to work with this guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and what happens is if you can find who they, you know, a, a great question to ask that I always ask clients is when we leave here today, who do you call and have the conversation with about our conversation? Because hmm. that's the person in their life that I may or may not need to get in front of because they're going to have a lot of say in what this individual I just met with, that this business owner just met with, is going to do. And so by figuring out who those important people that they see are valuable in their life 
it does reinforce, but then they, they start, you know, business owners hang out with business owners for the most part, right? Because they all can have camaraderie. And, and so they may, I've got a, just a ton of introductions to people that were already more in a mature stage. So, you know, I was able to do financial planning for those folks. Um, and I've just, I've just watched it because I'm not driven just to be an asset gatherer. Um, we have everything we need, right? I mean, it, mm. you know, we live a great life. We've worked really, really hard to have the life we have and we've been blessed, but you know, I don't, I don't need to drive the flashy car. I don't need to. And so when a lot of these people, they're just, they're so focused on that bottom line net, you know, net income to them, what they mm-hmm. can have. Uh, people can see that people can feel that. And I just believe that um, you may not always have what you want, but you'll have what you need. As long as you, if you always do what's right, you'll never be wrong. And I think that skill set, you meet somebody, they need some help. I have no idea what the ripple effect that's going to be, but I'm going to trust in that. And and it served me well. And I, I, I would tell you at my previous firm, they would ask me to, you know, talk about how, you know, how I built a business. How'd you how, do it? Yeah. yeah and, secret sauce? And, you know, here's what I would say. It's, I would always tell them the same thing. Hey, you, you don't really want to know uh, because they had a certain way of doing things. And I said, you don't really want to know how I do it. And they said, no, 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 we really do. And I said, obedience. If I'm driving and I think of a business owner, I don't rationalize why I should or shouldn't call them. I just call them. And I may not get them on the phone, but I can tell you well close to 100% of the time, for some reason, they were thinking, like, I can't believe you just called me. (laughs) I was just thinking about you the other day. (laughs) I was talking to somebody who mentioned you and I needed to get with you. I can't believe you're calling me. Or actually... I wasn't thinking of you, but I needed to ask someone a question about something with banking. Weren't you a banker? And it just, it was out of obedience that I felt like I was supposed to call him. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds kind of maybe out there, but... No, we believe in God, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it is so often people, they 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 don't want to validate that feeling that they get to, to call somebody or uh, to do that. So is it a, is it a harder path? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know the other path, honestly. So um, I'm, I'm not the, uh, the 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 salesperson that uh, – I actually had a guy a couple of weeks ago say – I made a comment to him. He's like, ooh, you're a good salesman. And I was like – I cringed because I'm like, oh. <laughs> How dare you say that? That's like – that's the wor- – that wasn't a – I actually said to him, I said, that wasn't a sales technique. Like, that was truth. Like, that wasn't a sales technique. Um and uh, so I did. I cringed a little bit when he said that, but uh, it's fine. He became a client, and everything's good. <laughs> it's all forgiven, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all good. But, um, but yeah, I think it's you, you do have to be patient. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of business owners. Here's what I see with a lot of business owners: they want to start where somebody who's very mature in their business is already at, hmm. and their perception is is that I'm going to go in this business. Uh, you know, I, you know, I listen to Mike's podcast. It's like, well, I got a mower. That guy's got a mower. I'm should be as successful as that guy. Well, he's 20 years in Mike, you know, like you're, you're, right. you're, you just bought the mower, you know, last week. So it's in, in, you know, Mike had good vision there. He understood what it was going to take to build I, I, a lot of business owners. They, I don't know that they ever take the time to think through, well, you know what? I'm just going to walk into a bank. 
and they're gonna give me a loan for like 25 grand so I can get this thing going. No, no, they're not. <laughs> I was an ex-banker. No, they're not. Um, now, if somebody gets on that loan with you, maybe. All right. Um, because they just assume, because they heard their buddy on the golf course who owns a business for 10 years just talk about this loan he just got. And so they think, oh, well, money's easy to come by. And it's there's more to it than that. And I think educating them on that is, is, has been um, – it's very, it's very enjoyable to me. I, I – I get super pumped up to to just meet with business owners, hear their story, hear why they got into um, these obscure businesses that you drive by these buildings. You're like, nobody has any idea I know. what is going on in that my building. Wife, my <laughs> wife makes you know, she makes fun of me, but you know, when I'm if I've had a long day of appointments, and most of our stuff happens out there, we're yep. going out to clients' businesses so where we can meet with the leadership teams. And if I'm just spent, you know, we've had two or three meetings, and I'm like, I got, I don't, there's no hurry to get back. I love driving through industrial parks. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite, one of my favorite things to just kill time because you're right. It's like $5 million business, $10 million mm-hmm. business, $2 million business, $20 million business, and they're totally obscure. There's, you know, there's one guy taking out the trash, mm-hmm. you know, he, he probably started the thing, you know, and it's, I love that. I'd love that whole environment of the, the back of the woods industrial park with a bunch of million dollar businesses just <laughs> making it happen. I, I think I'm going to get in a, a wreck one day because I cannot pass a service vehicle on the road without turning and like having to see what business it is. Have I heard of them? Like where are they located? So I'm glad I'm not alone with this. Well, it's, what's interesting when I was a, I was an acquisition, it was in the business banking group at the bank and commercial banking. And you know, you get, you can get all these lists, right? And you can download lists with, you know, DMB reports or, you know, all this stuff. And there was a company out in Plant City, Florida, that I was I was calling and calling and calling. I, I bet I called this company over a two year period. I don't know how many times. Well, Never. Just the fact it. you called them over a two year period. That's yeah. <laughs> well, I, just, I I I called. And I was very always very nice to to the individual that answered, and it was a nice older lady. And I happened to be out in Plant City, and I was driving, and I'm like, that's that's that business I've been calling on is on that road. So I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to stop. And I walk in and come to find out the lady who always answered the phone was the owner's mom. So I'm glad I was always very nice to her. (laughs) Um, She said, well, yeah, he's here. Let me see if he's available. So he comes out super nice business owner. I mean, he was G3 of this, this chemical company. He sits down with me and he talks to me for two hours (laughs) So at the end of that, I said to him, I said, you know, I don't know if you knew, but I've, I've been calling here to have this conversation with you for a couple of years now. He said, yeah, I got, I got all those messages. <laughs> and I said, did you ever think of calling back? <laughs> he said, not a chance. He said, if you, you sit downtown Tampa, right? And I said, yeah, I do. Yes, sir. And he said, yeah, anybody can call off a list. The fact that you drove out here, I'll talk to you. He's like, by the way, we bank with X and we're never moving. <laughs> but it was a really good, it was a good experience for me to realize that what I ended up doing then is so many of those businesses, to your point, Joey, they don't, maybe they don't report to DMB. Right. They don't, 
you know, wait, you're going to charge me so then you can tell people to solicit me? Like, no thanks, right? <laughs> and so no, no, there's more to DMV than that, but but that is kind you of – You just yeah. described the way every small business owner has described DMV back to me after I've told them. They're like, do I need to fill this out? I'm like, well, here's what it is. Yeah. Like, so I'm going to do that so yeah. that they – and I'm like, yeah, it's all yeah, – I mean, it's, it's the way it, – Again, it's the framework. It's the way it's it's all done, right? And so you, you you do have to have that presence. But what I used to do whenever I was going to meet with somebody, if you drill in all on, it's not a plug for Google, but any map type thing, when you drill into where you can visually see, like look around, mm-hmm. if you one take one click out from that, it then pops all the business names up in that area. I had more success literally just going, okay, I have a client in this industrial park that feels like, at least I feel like they think I do a good job for them, right? And who else is around them? 90% of those companies you can't find on a list anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I would just start calling them and say, I'd get the business owner to say, is it, hey, can I, can I let people know that we work together? Yeah, sure. No problem. And I would just call them all. Mm. And it's, it's amazing how many of them are like, oh, you work with, yeah, come and meet with me, come with meet with me. And, and, and so, um, and a lot of them might've already been working with somebody or, but Hey, if you're working with them, but hey, my son or my nephew started a business, you should talk to him. And it just, to your point, Joey, it just, you just never know where it'll take you. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Uh, let's talk about this light, the idea of the life cycle of a small business owner. Mm-hmm. So, what do you, when you say life cycle, what do you mean? I, I, I know in general we know what the concept is, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what are you thinking of when you, when you describe that? For me, it's it, are, they in, are they in growth phase? Are they mature or are they exiting, right? And I think that those all present unique challenges. Cameron, you mentioned it earlier. How do you get that business owner to say, okay, well, I'm going to start investing outside of the business? A lot of what I talk to business owners about in, in say, the growth stage is the taking the pressure off the sale of that business. Um, if we can start to carve out some levels of success – and yes, the rate of return is not going to be the same as you, that new truck mm-hmm. or that five more employees could potentially generate you. But ultimately, if you if you don't start carving some of that out, you're going to be totally reliant on the sale of that business. Mm-hmm. Talk to someone in 0809 who wanted to sell their business, and that was their retirement plan, right? What happened? They probably kept on working for right. quite a few more years. Um, and so in the growth stage, it's, do we have the right people in the bus, uh, on the bus in the right seats and what, you know, how attached am I? So what my valuation, when I go to sell, you know, what does that look like? If, can I actually take a vacation or if, if when Joey's gone, nothing gets done, mm-hmm. well, that value is going to be less, right? right? Then, you know, that, so in, in the growth stage, it's really, that's actually probably where I lean on my banking skills more than anything. Um, and then, you know, you have really, it's probably not a lot of asset management at that stage. It's it's a lot more risk and then potentially credit driven. Hey, are you, are you with the right bank, right? Banks have appetites just like any business, right? You, you have a certain clientele that you want. And so helping them understand that, I, a lot of business owners that I have today that have moved into probably that growth stage, I got working, helping them get to the right bank in in the infancy stage to grow um, because they were, their banker was just kind of, let's grab a packet and see if it sticks kind of deal versus, hey, let's really walk through what you're trying to do and what banks will help. And then, you know, just walking them through, I'm going to show you what this looks like. 
this is you're going to probably sit in this meeting in this in this growth stage and think why are we talking about this but i'm trying to help them say here's what's ahead of you in the in the maturity stage and then long term here's what's ahead of you in the succession stage the succession stage sometimes is harder than the growth stage mm-hmm. um you probably have heard this term before, but so many business owners are like, well, I, I mean, it's worth more. This is this is my baby. This is what I built. And um, I always like to use the line, we have human babies. You have a business, right? <laughs> um, you know, because it, it, there are a lot of a lot of business owners. That it, they, it's their identity. They can't walk away from it. They don't feel like they have the right people because they didn't spend the time five, ten years ago grooming the right person or people to take over. And, and now we're at, I want to exit, but how do I exit? Because I don't have anybody to, to do that with. And, and it's it's sad for them in a lot of ways, but also exciting because now it almost gives them like that last season of run to say, okay, well, I can't exit for three or four more years. Let's go find somebody, which is where you guys help, right? I mean, that's what you do. Um, but how do we look at everything in our world comes down to time, taxes, and risk. That's it. I mean, it's it's... Uh, we, we, you know, at our firm, we, we have this saying that uh, simplicity is sophisticated. Let's let's not overcomplicate, right? Two plus two does still equal four. Um, contrary to what the media might tell you, it still <laughs> equals four. Um, and really getting that down to where they can digest it. Uh, it's easy for us to talk about it because we have the minds that are in it every day. Um, but it's, it's, it's a scary thing in the maturity stage of what do I do now? And, um, and so again, sometimes it's, it's, you know, G1 wants to pass to G2 maybe, but they don't think G2 is going to do it as good as they did it. So then there's this control factor, um, you know, and usually G2 steps in with new ideas and new ways of thinking and they're not necessarily good, bad, or indifferent. They're just, they're different to the times. Right. And so, um, building out those plans really at each stage is, is critical and just being being present I think in all those stages is is so important on the personal side too is just meet people where they're at right try to understand what they're thinking and try to li- really listen um, don't just be thinking about how you can help them right I think that's where a, a lot of people in the in the knowledge industry as you called it, we're, you're so quick to just be thinking about how am I going to help this Solve person? Solve the problem. Let's yeah. get to the problem. Yeah. 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 And, and so um, each stage presents its own issues, um, but challenges are, can be good. That's, yeah. that's where growth happens. I liked what you said uh, starting off where you said in the growth phase, one of the things we're trying to do is take pressure off the sale, mm-hmm. right? And it, it, might, it might mean, okay, we're going to take some money off the table and we're not going to buy a new truck. Uh, I, I wish – we did a better job, take me and Cameron and Devin with us, of addressing that issue. Uh, for us, it comes down like we always want to see fair compensation to the owner, mm-hmm. you know, because they they play this weird game. We're trying to save on self employment or social security tax, and they're yeah. paying a you know, business owner is making thirty grand a year, right? Yeah. And there's nobody else at that level is making less than one hundred and fifty, right? So, like, we need to start treating this like a real business. But even that business owner is making thirty grand. Their lifestyle requires three hundred, mm-hmm. right? And so let's say we get them to one hundred and fifty. They're still taking one hundred and fifty thousand out in dividends, and it's going to mortgage payments, it's going to boats, it's going to vacations. And I, where I think we could do a better job and learning from you in this is saying, hey, let's tr- let's look at 
your personal lifestyle and let's try to constrain that to your paycheck. If we can live within the means of your paycheck, then that frees up $150,000 worth of dividends to either accelerate and self-fund growth, Mm because there's some opportunities to do that, or take some money off the table or a little bit of both. And I, I love that idea because when you look at it is hard to convince business owners to to divest themselves and be in you know an S and P and they'd much rather be the the idea of like well I am a hundred percent business owner but the, you're not really a hundred percent business owner if you're working. 60 hours a week or 50 hours a week to make that 300 and you're spending it all, you don't own a business, right? That's just a really nice paycheck. And the business goes away, so does the paycheck. But if you're working, if you're spending 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week for a $150,000 job and you own an asset that's paying you $150,000 that you don't have to use to live off of, you can put that somewhere else. You do have an asset and it's giving you really good returns. And there's a crap ton of risk because you know if that if that's the only asset you own mm-hmm. that's where the divestiture takes place but i love the idea of we're in a growth phase we need to be thinking 15 20 years down the road take mm-hmm. some of the pressure off of that eventual sale if that's what they have their eye on the other thing is that we've said before uh, by the time we do all the things to maximize the valuation, you're probably going to decide you may you don't want to sell, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. the thing that makes your business really, really valuable is the fact that you don't have to be in there That's right. because the potential pool of people who can buy it now and make money is a lot, lot bigger. Um, well, if you don't have to be there and it's paying you three hundred thousand dollars a year, like, do you really want to sell it? I'm like, why would I do that, right? So, there's arguments for and against, but. I uh, like the growth, maturity, succession. Um, and you said the succession part can be hard, hardest from the growth. Talk about what you're doing in the maturity phase. What does that middle ground look like in terms of what you're telling business owners? What does it look like first so a business owner who's listening could underst- could recognize it? And then w- w- where would you be telling them they should be spending their, their time? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, the, the maturity phase is really when you've kind of hit critical mass, right? What I call critical mass, which is if I didn't hire anybody else, this business could run sufficiently. Now, we may not get to a next level. We may not go from 8 million in revenue to 12, but we're happy playing in the 8 million space or the 2 million space, wherever that is for the, the individual business. But um, when you feel like, everything's running it may not be quote-unquote a well-oiled machine yet but it's i've got the right amount of people i have the right amount of equipment i've got the right right amount of clientele where they they kind of take that breath um because in the growth phase where it's just pure run and scary till you make it kind of deal um i always kind of joke that you know i like people who faith it till they make it not fake it till they make it but um but once you've gotten to that point, then it really becomes, now am I doing things that I could actually go backwards? Because, you know, a lot of times I'll meet with the business owners and tell them, you know, you need to start thinking about attraction and retention here. Because when you were running, your mindset was, I'll just replace that person with somebody else. Right. But once you get to a mature phase, you've got some critical people on your team that help get it potentially there and keep it there um you know they don't want to spend money but they don't even perceive it as uh an employee benefit 
right? So for example, do we have a retirement plan? What type of retirement plan do we have? You know, from simple IRAs to 401ks and you know, all these different things. And are we matching? Well, I'm not matching. Well, your competitor's matching, mm-hmm. right? And so these types of things where they don't even realize their staff wishes they had it because they're not asking. And so because they didn't have time to ask before. Right. They really didn't have time. That's that's really interesting. You're just and, and it describes, I think, perfectly the bubble that a lot of business owners live in in the sense that all they know is what they've experienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, we. it's funny. I, w- I would talk to CPAs and say, you need to be doing more for your business clients to advise them. And they'd be like, I'm not qualified to do that. I'm like, you see 150 businesses a year. They see one, right? Yeah. Like you've, you're so much more qualified than you think you are because you're you're exposed to so many more situations that, and you're 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 not really giving yourself credit. Um, but a lot of business owners, like they, they're still, uh, they're still small, right? They still remember. They still have. I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many business owners I've worked with over the years that still have the same desk that they started with, right? And sometimes the same office. I have one guy out on the island. I don't know how in the world he managed to cram thirty people into this two thousand square foot real estate office, oh. but he did. And you know, he was still small, and he was the largest player in the market, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't. They never pull themselves out to see. So I love when you're like. Um, there's in their mind, I'm still in growth mode. Like uh, we got to be lean and mean and we'll match. Like we've never, we've never matched. We've never had the ability to match. You're like, uh, you got like $2 million in the bank, right? Yeah, <laughs> Your yeah. annual overhead is 500,000. We can match, right? We can <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. But sometimes it takes somebody to pull them out and go, Oh no, you're not in growth anymore. You're, you're mature. Oh, and by the way, uh, your employee who started last week, they walked in to like to the largest real estate brokerage in the market, and they can't believe that you don't have benefits. Mm-hmm. Like the, we got to up our game here. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's pretty cool that they can see the blind spot, so to speak. Yeah, and it, 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 that happens, you know, all the time. And I, I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of them that they just need that partner that they can trust to pull them out and say, you can do what you want with the information, mm-hmm. but here's, I need to pull you out and kind of show you what others are seeing because you're right. I mean, when you are in the trenches in our own business, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to make sure our, our team and we have an, we have a team of eight and it's, you know, how do you keep everybody so intently focused on what clients are trying to achieve? And so if you're, an HVAC contractor, you know, do you really know what that, if that employee is out there in front of your client, what they're doing on a daily basis? Um, this goes way back, but uh, when I was in college, I worked at, uh, they don't exist anymore, Circuit City. Um, and I wrote a paper that my teacher and professor at the time said, you should send this in. I said, I'll lose my job if I do. So I'm not sending this in. But it was all about the leadership team at corporate coming into stores two weeks out of the year and working in a store. Because they were doing things that the people that really were actually doing them would go, that, that's the worst idea. Why would you do that? Right? And this happens in businesses. I see this happen in businesses where the owner comes down with some type of vision and says, this is how we're going to do it. And his team is not going to speak up or her team's not going to speak up and say, hey, hey, Joey, that's a really dumb idea. Here's why. They're going to keep their mouth quiet and then I'll go talk behind your back. And you're 
charging full ahead, not realizing your whole team is like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I think that um, I usually like asking business business owners, hey, when, when was the last time a, an employee at any level challenged your thinking? And a lot of times they look at you and you're like, they never, they never challenge. What, what do you mean challenge my thinking? Well, then you don't have the old, you know, the old open door policy, which is kind of an oxymoron, really. But, <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I think that it's a unique thing is does your team actually feel like they can challenge the thinking to say, hey, we're the ones that you're now tasking with this with. We don't feel the love, but yet now we're having to do this. That starts it starts taking culture down. Yeah. I I wonder, uh, just in the, the experiences that we've had with with clients, I think all business owners would be like, yes, I want them to be secure enough, safe enough to come tell me I'm wrong. I think it's unrealistic. I mean, you can have the best culture in the world. I think you're asking a lot of a 23, 24-year-old to come into the office of a multi-million dollar business owner who's 30 years older than them and be like, have you thought about doing it this way? (laughs) And um, But... They'll talk to this guy, pointing at Cameron. Mm-hmm. Like they'll go, he'll he'll do a ride along with them, mm-hmm. and they'll be like, "Hey, I, uh, I don't know, but this this thing they've got us doing on the tablet, it takes me like fifteen extra minutes, and I could be going to the neighbor's house across the street and clover leafing and trying to get more mm-hmm. sales, but this thing crashes five times a day. I go out here to Lakewood Ranch, I can't get service, you know, and." And Cameron can come back to the business owner and be like, hey, uh, your field people are really upset, (laughs) but none of them are going to walk here and tell you. And the business goes, they can tell me anything they want to tell me. Uh, No, they really can't. (laughs) Well, and and that's an interesting point, Joey, because usually what I tell them, they say, well, how do I do that? And I say, well, you you can't do that. Right. Right. Now, you have management layers potentially below you that they're comfortable telling that direct manager who then reports maybe up the line that is maybe 15 years older than them or, you know, that does feel like they can come in and tell you because they sit in a meeting once a week with you versus, yeah, you're, you're not going to get that employee, nor, nor there should be some level of respect there to not do that as a 23-year-old walking into that business owner. So you have to, you know, two, two things in life cause conflict, unmet expectation and a breakdown in communication. That's all conflict, right? Whether in marriage, business, friendships, somebody set an expectation, somebody broke it, somebody, you know, it, it's just how it works. And, and I think that everything can go back to, did I set an expectation? I used to, uh, my wife would say, what time are you going to be home? I'd say, well, I'll be home around six. Well, to her, that meant six. <laughs> By six. Right. Yeah, <laughs> six. Not 6.05, not 6.20, right? I, in my mind, I'm thinking around six, you know? Um, how many employees feel that same way? Business owner says something, they're thinking, okay, there's some leeway here. No, 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 there's no leeway. Mm-hmm. I said this, and this is, you know, and so I think it's, I think it's curbing expectations. I think it's clear expectations. But then also living with, the idea that maybe I do need to make some, be fluid in some of my decision making. Uh, I think that curiosity and humbleness are, are huge attributes, right? Be curious to learn. You could learn something from somebody who's well younger than you, uh, less experienced because they see the world differently um, and be humble enough to, to hear it. Um, what you do with the information you may, you know, is up to you. 
Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic, and we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you, you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now back to the episode. One of the main things I've gotten from this conversation so far is that you could have saved Circuit City, but you chose not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I want to yeah. go back because you, you've alluded to this a, a few times and it's just your how you and, and uh, your business partner uniquely position yourselves to business owners. So can, can you tell us more about that? When you sit down with a business owner and they're like, all right, give me your, you know, I don't want to say pitch. You're a great sales guy. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> not, not your pitch, but how do you position instrumental wealth, you know, mm -hmm. when a business owner says, all right, tell me what you got. Yeah. It, I, I think the number one question right out of the gate is just what, what's on your mind and, and why are we meeting today? Uh, there's always something, right? Because if there wasn't, they wouldn't be meeting with you, they, especially a business owner. They don't have time just to go do howdy-doody professional visits, right? There's, there's something on their mind. Um, they want you to extract it out of them, though, right? And I think it's, uh, you know, that just comes with experience and really asking good questions and then listening, truly listening without an agenda, so much today is done with an agenda in mind versus just, I want to learn. We may walk away from this and just call each other friend, and that's okay. Uh, but if there's some things that we might be able to, to, to uncover and, and maybe shed some light on and, and um, maybe the, the relationship starts. So it's really just, you know, positioning our firm, Instrumental Wealth, is, is the, the name has more meaning behind it than just the name. Um, you know, if you think of, uh, I play guitar, but I started in February, so naturally I'm, I'm, if there's lower than novice, that's me. You got but, smoke on the water down? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I, happy birthday, maybe. But, um, you know, really, if you think of an orchestra, like a hundred piece orchestra, you know, there's somebody who's, is telling, you know, the string section, the, the, the bass section, I mean, to, to orchestrate all these things. And that's really what a business owner I mean, they, they need a partner or a set of partners that can really help them orchestrate because they don't have time. They don't, they don't have time to put it on us to know all the bankers in the market. Put it on us to know the CPAs. Put it on us to know the attorneys. Put it on us. Let us go out and say, okay, this is a good group of people that have good skill set. These two personalities are not going to match. This personality will match better, right? And so I think that's where we we really kind of are instrumental in their life to really say, I can call Drew, I can call Dave and, and just say, Hey, I need some help with this. I don't even know who does that. Do you know someone who helps with that? Yeah. Joey and Cameron, they, they would help you with that. And I think that is where that's the, what you referred to earlier about. We, we just don't know how we're affecting. Uh, I've had a lot of clients that say, Hey, that one introduction you gave me just changed my business. Hmm. 
I don't remember giving the introduction, right? Because it's just, it was an just an everyday thing to me. I mean, it was not uh, something that I set out that day to say, I need to do this. It was just, they had a need and there was a person that I knew in the marketplace who did it and, uh, and introduce them. And I think that that's, that's really kind of where instrumental wealth is just really staying focused on how are we instrumental in our clients' lives and, and what do they need, uh, what are their perceived and unperceived needs. Um, and, that, and that's really where that was, that was really born out of. But, um, and I'm, I'm thankful. Our team is just, um, they're, they're phenomenal. I mean, I can't say enough about the team and just how focused they are on hearing from me and Dave of what, what is this business owner? What is this person really trying to accomplish? So they know that because when that client calls in or that client needs something, they understand that client's vision. They understand it's almost like they're in it with us because they are, but they know how to help that, that person when we're in a meeting. You know, I'm, I have no idea what's going on on my phone right now, but probably a lot. And, um, you know, and, but I have a team and people know that they can call that team and, and get something handled. And, and so I think it's uh, the business owner fit with instrumental wealth and just in their life uh, just it kind of came out of clients saying that we were, we were instrumental in, um, in helping them. I think you're you hit on something you've you've mentioned a couple times, but it's that idea of um, being the resource to know where to go. And when you think about the small business owner clients that that we know, they they network like they know their suppliers. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if you were to ask them, hey, if Supply House X Y Z increased their prices five percent tomorrow, where would you go? I'd be like, well, probably this one because I know Bob over there, and he and I have been talking, and you know, and they know they they know the network within their group. But when you say, um, hey, you're talking about buying this building from the landlord, and he just gave you a boilerplate contract, like if you had an attorney look at, it? and they're like, I should probably do that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. I don't know any attorneys. I know a bunch of plumbing supply house owners, and I know a bunch of equipment dealers. And I, you know, and um, there's so many areas where that comes into play. I think there's two primary areas. One is like this this area of professional services you've been talking about. Like, let me worry about who, which CPAs. I can hook you up with a CPA that's really that knows your industry, and that I know is going to get along well with you. And Gen two, maybe you know, like and. Um, but the other side is. That um, when they need talent, like when they need good, qualified, senior-level talent, because another thing, like they're plugged into the trade schools or they're plugged into, um, you know, professional groups and that kind of stuff. But the professional group isn't going to find you your next CFO, right? The professional group's not going to find you your next VP of sales. And they, when when they're looking for these people, sometimes they might feel like they need it. Uh, and then you walk in, and Drew's like you don't have a CFO? <laughs> Are you crazy? Like, and they're like, where would I go find that person? And you're like, well, let me talk to, you know, these three CPAs and see if they know anybody that's fed up with the public accounting world that wants to jump or whatever. And I would just encourage business owners. If like, if, if you don't have that person that you can call and say, I have a networking need, but I don't have the network. Mm-hmm. You've, you're you're at a big disadvantage. Like you're working way harder than you need to, or more likely, you're just putting up with stuff you don't have to put up with because you don't know who to hand it off to. Mm-hmm. I think that's an incredible resource that a lot of business owners may not even know they're missing out on. Yeah, a lot of them focus on just what's this going to cost? What's this going to cost? Right, and 
I'm a big believer in cost is only an issue in the absence of value. You know, if there's no value in it, then yeah, the cost is too much. But if I help you find your next CFO who takes your business a whole nother level, what was that worth to you, right? And that's that, that whole idea. And I think that uh, and everybody's different. Everybody's different. Every, every person's perception is different on that. Um, and again, I think that goes back to good listening, but also letting clients know. I think people don't, people don't know they sometimes can use people as a resource. So someone might be listening to us. A business owner might be listening to us now and say, well, I have a, I have a financial gal that helps me. I never thought to call her and ask her that question. Well, you should, right? And I think that's where you start to the, you know, you have the tangible things and then the intangible things that, well, are they that resource for you? Are they doing enough in the community where they know enough people that they could be that resource to you? If not, then maybe it is, you know, maybe they really are just an asset manager to you. That's all they are. Um, and again, nothing wrong with that, but it's just you have to understand the scope of that. That um, Because I'm a big believer in, uh, I, I think Cameron's heard me say this before, it's just I, I, I tell clients all the time, like, hey, let me be the bad guy. Throw me under the bus. Right? Like, I'll, I, no problem. You can do that. I, they don't know me. You know, it's, and um, I have a, have a client right now who's trying to buy into a business. He's just an employee he's buying into a business. And uh, they weren't really giving him the info that he needed to make that decision. And I just said, well, throw me under the bus. Go ahead and just tell them that you're working with your financial planner and he can't plan for you financially unless you have those numbers. And he's like, that's not going to work. I'm like, just, just go ahead. Do that. He called and he said, I, I got the numbers. That's crazy that that worked. <laughs> and I said, and he's like, you just added so much value to me, you know, just because I could throw you under the bus instead of me. But it's just a perception of of uh who's asking right, right? i mean because in our world we want to want to get introduced to different businesses and you know if i it, it, you know just as a quick thing if i say you know joe who's the richest person you know that comes off kind of like whoa <laughs> man i don't really like that question um but if I ask you, hey, who's the most successful person you know? Now, that could go a bunch of different ways. Unfortunately, in our culture today, success is defined by money a lot of times. But, you know, I don't necessarily want now the quote-unquote richest person you know monetarily. Who's, who's the good business owner that you know? Who's, let's define what rich is, right, or success is. And then, because those are the clients that I, quite frankly, I, I enjoy working with the most. They care about other people more than themselves, sometimes to a detriment. Um, but they they want to get things done and they want to impact people. Um, because once we get to a stage where we have whatever enough is, right? The the idea of, I don't believe in the whole statement, when's enough enough? Um, I don't, because again, people think about that with money, right? But if you hate your job or you've plateaued at 5 million in sales in your business, when's enough enough? Or are you going to hire the CFO to get to 10 million, right? You have to think, when is enough enough? When am I tired of just being plateaued in this stage? What do I got to do to get to the next stage? And I think that that's, it's a lot of self-reflection on people that, especially business owners, they don't take the time to do because they're just so quote unquote busy is what they would, would say. But again, in that gro- in that maturity stage, it's well, you might be over controlling. You might be doing stuff you shouldn't be doing because you aren't willing to hire somebody to to handle that 
that paperwork or that, you know, right. that those meetings because you feel like you got to be in it. So right. just that coaching. Good stuff. When um, when we put together this outline, because we're all we've all got a page of questions in front of us. <laughs> I think we made it to number five yeah. out of fifteen. Um, but we predicted. That. We yeah, we covered a lot of ground. I I wouldn't be remiss if I didn't ask you. Um, you know, we we work with predominantly clients in this area, mm-hmm. um, and you are stones throw away. Mm-hmm. If somebody has has kind of bought what you're selling today. It's like great <laughs> sell. <laughs> Drew and, and like I want somebody like Drew in my corner. Like where do they go to find more information? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, I mean, through through you all. I mean, obviously we we've we've done work together, and and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do lots of work together. Uh, our, our website, instrumentalwealth.com, um, you can get in contact with us there. Uh, we actually have links right on there to schedule time. If someone wants to have a 15-minute a get-to-know instrumental wealth, um, they can schedule it right there. Um, I mean, I'm not sure as you want me to go as far as giving my phone number on here, but, <laughs> but the reality is is that uh, that's probably uh, – I mean, we're all over social media as well just from a, um, a standpoint of a presence. And, and that's actually probably more about us, what we do in the community, than it is trying to necessarily go out and attract people that way um, because we, we all – we all believe that serving with purpose is, is where you get fulfillment, right? And so, uh, but our website, uh, instrumentalwealth.com, and then, um, and then introduction, I mean, you guys, if they came to you and, and said, you know, um, you know, coming through Axiom and say, hey, you had this guy on there, can I talk a little bit more about it before I call him? Sure. Um, which, is always, which is always good. Well, um, you've done a, a great job of being transparent. I feel like, um, I feel like you're the kind of person who would say, I'm putting words in your mouth, so you can always tell me this was inaccurate, and we'll in post-production, we'll strip this part out. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's interesting when we have a conversation like we've just had for the last hour and a half, and people get to hear you talk about what you're passionate about, I would say that if you're a business owner, and if you feel like you got along with Drew, he'd be more than happy to take your phone call and just see where it went without a lot of qualification behind it. And so I would definitely encourage anybody who's listening who who um, who kind of likes what they've heard. This is this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Right? I there mean there's go. a there's a lot more to Drew and instrumental wealth um, mm-hmm. that could come in a follow-up conversation. So I would encourage anybody who who has that interest, don't be shy. Reach out to us, reach yeah. directly out to Drew or through instrumentalwealth.com and we'll be happy to facilitate that because I I firmly believe there are you, I'll say it again. You're the only person I've ever met in in 20 years of doing the work that I'm doing now, in 30 years of being out of school. Um, you're the only the only financial planner I've ever met who's willing to take the time that it takes to work with small business owners because they are not built the way it's a small group. It's a very small population size. They're outliers. And to find somebody who says, I'm willing to take this huge market of people who have money or the ability to make money. And I'm willing to really focus on and pay attention to that subset that is business owners and their unique needs and how they're wired differently and their different financial needs and and really uh, has taken the time to build some expertise in there um, I'm a big fan I mean I really hope that we have more business clients who are be, are able to use you and, and buy into the idea that having you in their corner uh, 
You know, like we, I think we're all in this to make not just better business owners, but better husbands, better fathers, better brothers, better aunts, better uncles. Um, and so I, w- I would love for them to have you in their corner. Uh, thanks for saying that. Appreciate that. Well, thanks for being on, everybody. We'll be back next week for another episode.